seated. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's pray one more time as we get going. God, we thank you for the fact that we can celebrate Advent, your coming. That we can rejoice because you have come, that you will come again. And we pray today as we look at a text that um, is, to say the least, a bit unusual, that you would speak to us into our situation with your truth and your word, that you would give us both hope for your future coming and peace as we live day by day in the world that we find around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is our second week of Advent. Uh, last week we lit the candle of hope and we talked about longing in this broken world that there's, there's this sense of hope that Christ is coming again and we, we rested in that. We're looking at the book of Zechariah and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jeff, you can really pick the Advent texts. If, if you don't think that yet, after I read the text today, you're going to think, what are you thinking, picking this for Advent? But, but the, the story actually fits. The people, we talked about last week, they're returning home from exile in Babylon after 70 years. And life is hopeful because they've come home, but it's also not quite as hopeful because it doesn't look like they had wanted it to look the, the temple isn't built the way they thought. The city's still in ruins. And, and, and in the middle of this, Zechariah has eight dreams, eight visions in the course of one night. And we talked last week about how the eight dreams work together. I'll show you that video again real quick. You got that, Rob? Yeah, remember there's, there's a dream. One, two, three. I, last week I was explaining, and this week I wanted to go faster. Four, five. And it, back, it kind of moves into the middle in dream four and five and backs back out. That's the, it's called a chiastic structure. So that the flow of the dreams, they match up. And the flow of the dreams actually drives you into the middle. There we go. Dream four and five. Okay, so today we're going to look at dream two and dream seven. Uh, which is, is probably, especially dream seven, is I think the weirdest of the one. But we're going, to read, of all eight, we're going to read each one, we're going to talk about how they apply, and believe it or not, they're actually going to relate to this idea of peace, this candle of peace. So if you turn in Zechariah, chapter 1, the first, first dream, which is the second in the whole sequence, is really short, Zechariah 1, 18 to 21. And here it is. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I asked, what are these coming to do? And he answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Now, that's the first dream. Well, it's the second dream in the sequence. It's the first one we're going to look at today. And you may be dreaming of a white Christmas, but if you ask Zechariah, he would have said, I'm dreaming of horns and craftsmen, right? Kind of an unusual dream. The, the problem for us in these dreams is not only are they a bit weird, but they're so culturally and linguistically removed from the way we live and the way we think. We don't think of horns without an animal attached to it, do we? unless you're thinking about a car horn, right, or something like that, or the horn section in a brass band. But, but these images 
aren't words that we would usually use today. And the symbolic meanings are different. See, the first dream is so far from our cultural viewpoint that we have a hard time understanding it. It, In it, we see four horns, and we're told that these four horns are the ones who've driven Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem into exile. Basically, it's a way of saying everybody that is Jewish has been forced out by these four horns. They've been scattered by the powerful. Now, the horn, like the horn of a bull, the horn of a rhinoceros, it, it was a symbol of power. In that culture, in biblical writing, when you hear dreams that have horns, it's a symbol of power. We might have, uh, you know, a weapon that would be a symbol of power or a crown would be a symbol of power in our dreams. But in this dream, horns symbolize power. You see that in the scripture in Micah 4, 13. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hoofs of bronze and you will break to pieces many nations. That's, that's this idea of power that's coming. Also in, uh, in Daniel, there's dreams in Daniel that talk about horns all the time. Daniel 7, 24, the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise. So when you see that word horn, especially in Old Testament dreams, it's talking about power. And it, there are four of them, right? He says, I saw four horns. And people have, you know, there's, there's books written on which nations these are and who they symbolize. I, most likely, I think, there's four because four is a complete set. If you follow the dreams, last week we saw four horses. We saw four chariots. This week we, saw four, this week we see four um, horns, four craftsmen. And we see next week four winds. I think that's just a way of saying the whole of the powerful structure. I don't necessarily, maybe it is certain nations, but I, I don't know. Regardless, there are four, a complete set of power that has scattered the people. And there is hope in this dream because they are saved by the craftsmen. Now, does that sound weird to anybody else? Right? Do you see like Lord of the Rings and there's a big battle going on and they're just about to die and they look back over the over the the horizon and they say, oh, good, the craftsmen are coming. (laughs) It just doesn't fit, does it? It's kind of an awkward thing. So so why the Hebrew word here is harasim, which means a, a very skilled craftsman, an artisan. Uh, like a, like a, a gem cutter or a blacksmith or a, a, a fine carpenter or stonemason. And it's interesting that the solution to the problem of this power that has scattered everybody are for craftsmen, not warriors. I hesitate to go here, but how many of you remember that old TV show called MacGyver? Back when I was in high school and college, MacGyver was on it. MacGyver was a guy that used... The most incredible things that you would never realize, he would put them together in a way. I've got a picture. See that? It's, it, it should look that way because it's 1986. They're in a car chase. And MacGyver takes an old muffler that's in the car, and he takes the knob off of the gear shift, and he cuts a hole in the upholstery and stuffs the muffler with the upholstery fill, and then he gets a little bit of gas that they had and puts it on the upholstery. And then he tells the girl in the front to push in the cigarette lighter. Remember, push in the cigarette lighter. And he, he turns a muffler into a bazooka. <laughs> and he shoots. You can tell it's 1986, too, because he doesn't blow up the car behind him. The knob from the gear shift shoots out the front and busts the radiator of the car behind him, and they just stop. That's how it ends, right? 
But I feel like you can take that picture off because you're going to think, what are you? I feel like God's doing a MacGyver here. God's saying, I am going to get those horns and I'm going to destroy them with the craftsmen. I'm going to bring, you know, the artisans and they're going to overthrow the powerful. He's doing a MacGyver. And it, it actually echoes what we'll find in the, the central part of the dreams, in dreams 4 and 5, in Zechariah 4, 6, probably the most popular verse from Zechariah. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God is going to bring down the powerful in a way that might surprise you. So this dream is is short with horns of power scattering the people and craftsmen coming to save the day. Now, the seventh dream, I think, which is over in Zechariah chapter 5, we're going to skip to that one. Zechariah 5, 5 to 11, I really think this one wins the prize for the weirdest dream ever. This is when you're going to say, Jeff, you sure know how to pick them for Advent. I call this dream a flying basket of wickedness. And you'll see, it's not, that wasn't a creative title, that's actually just what it is. Zechariah chapter 5, verse 5 to 11. And remember, there's a relationship between these two dreams. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what this is that is appearing. And I asked, what is it? And he replied, it's a measuring basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. And then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. And he said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back down into, back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down over the basket's mouth. And then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, just what you expected. And they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. And he replied to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When it is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. And do I need to say anything else for Advent? Don't you feel touched and warmed, right? I'm thinking about reading this one on Christmas Eve. Just kidding. It, it's, it's the strangest dream. A woman in a small basket with a lead lid is picked up by two other women with stork wings and flown to Babylon. Now, if, you were, if your neighbor told you that they had this dream over the back fence one morning as you were drinking your coffee, you both would just laugh about it and go about your day, Right? But there's a lot in this dream. It's a dream full of metaphors. The words that are used in this dream have a lot of meaning to them. I just want to highlight a few of those. It says, first of all, that it's a measuring basket. In Hebrew, it's actually the word epha, which is about a, it's a measuring unit of about five gallons. If you think of those five-gallon white buckets, you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the size, kind of, of this epha. And, and, um, and it had a cover of lead, which typically it wouldn't. It's interesting. Uh, the, the, the basket, the measuring basket, would be one that people would be common with in commerce, right? Because you would measure out things to sell them. And the lead would be what they would use on the scale to balance a weight, right? You usually don't have baskets with lead lids. So he's, he's pulling these two words, the effa and the lead, from the marketplace, and, and, and in the basket is what? It says, it depends on what version you read. I don't know what you've got. The, the NIV, the ESV, the NRSV all say iniquity. Anybody reading the King James? The King James says resemblance. This is verse 6. The New American Standard says their appearance. So what is it? The New English translation actually says, let me see verse 6. 
he said, this is the eye of the people throughout the whole land. So what is that? Why did, why did it call it iniquity? Well, it's th- this idea, the literal Hebrew word there is I, like E-Y-E. This is the eye of the people throughout the whole land. And, and the people that have translated it iniquity are pulling on, later on, this is called wickedness. And it's the idea that, that you know, what the eye sees is, is just wanting iniquity, sin. And so when you put that together with the basket and the lead lid from the marketplace, there's this image or these undertones of this commercialism and materialism. And, and a lot of people think, and I kind of agree with him, that they've come home from Babylon, which was pretty good living, really you know, good, beautiful things, quite, quite an advanced society. Persia's taken over, but there's wealth and money and good things. And they come home to nothing, and they feel like, oh. And all they're doing is looking for what they don't have. And when they look in the basket, there said a woman. Surprise, surprise. And you're like, it's a five-gallon bucket. How do you fit a woman in there? Have you ever had a dream like that? It, 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 measurements are not precise in a dream, right? So let's not get too hung up on that. How can it be a five-gallon bucket? With, well, that's a dream. That, that's how it works. But the angel names her and says, this is wickedness. Now, before you women all get angry at me, this is not saying that women are more wicked than men. Right, because women in the wisdom in the scripture is also personified as a woman. The reason it's probably a woman is because the Hebrew word for wickedness is a feminine form. That's that's the theory. But you also have these two other women who are taking the wickedness to Babylonia, and it says they have the wind in their wings. The Hebrew word for wind is ruach, which is actually the word for spirit. In Genesis. When it said the earth was formless and void and the spirit, the ruach, the wind hovered over, that's the same word. They have the spirit or the wind in their wings and they have the wings of a stork. Now, what's funny is why a stork? If you want powerful wings, would you pick a stork? Why don't they have the wings of an eagle? Why, why, why does God give a vision with the wings of a stork? Well, it's interesting. The word for stork in Hebrew is hasid, and it's related to a word that you may have heard in Hebrew called chesed, which means mercy, faithfulness. So what, what you see in these women is that they have, the, the spirit is lifting them on wings of literally faithfulness. In fact, the stork in Hebrew was called the faithful bird. It's, it's interesting, all these images are there. You know, you, you see a woman in a basket being flown to Babylon by two other stork wing women. You get that all of these images together are throwing out ideas of, of consumerism and materialism and the wickedness and people just wanting things that they see. And yet that's been put, a, the lid's been put on that. And faithfulness and the spirit are lifting these things and taking them away. In the same way that the horns were brought down and the craftsmen win the battle, the wickedness that's plagued Israel is being lifted up and taken away. It's the banishment of evil that you see in this dream. There's a place for all this to go. This is the, he says this is the iniquity or the sin or the eye of the people all throughout the land. This is all over us here in Israel. And yet the hope is that one day it's going to be lifted up by the faithfulness of the Spirit and taken to Babylonia, which is this symbolic place of evil in the Scripture. Right? You don't want to be from Babylon. And there, there's some hope, like our candle from last week, in this dream. What is now 
both those dreams are saying, what is now will not be forever. And that's where we begin to see where these dreams tie us to what we're doing in Advent. Because they focus in on the realities underlying the dreams. And as we walk through the Advent season, it's important to remember our world, although it's very different from Zechariah's world, there's a lot of underlying realities that are the same. Zechariah says in, in chapter 1, verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. This is God's word speaking to him. And as weird as it sounds, horns and craftsmen and a basket full of wickedness flying off with stork-winged women, as weird as it sounds, this is God's word to us. Because you know what? We see how the powerful are scattering people all over the world. Greatest refugee crises we've ever seen in the world today. The, 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 the powerful are being disruptive. And, and we long for someone to come and fix it. it can be a, we don't care. Be a craftsman, whoever. But somebody fix this problem. And when we see evil for what it is, we wish somebody would just put it in a basket and fly it away. You ever feel that way? I just wish you see families breaking down because of, of evil influences, because of problems, and you just wish, God, I just wish that would be gone. I wish they didn't have those struggles. And you see, we're called to wade into the world that, that's been destructed, scattered by destructive power, a world that's filled with evil and wickedness, materialism, consumerism that drives everything. We're called to wade in there during this Advent season to talk about the God who is coming. The first dream highlights the destructive use of power. And it's the truth. Those in power seem to be creating pain and suffering all over the world. Decisions are made in in, um, halls of power that have huge ripple-down effects to the poorest of the poor. And we see it. I was recently involved supporting a person in a court situation. And I appreciate the law courts. I really do. But I came away from that experience brokenhearted because in four minutes, I I get the judge has to move things on, but in four minutes they made a decision that didn't take any of the information that I've seen into account. And I get it, it's because they're rushed. What what frustrated me too, the, the lawyer for the other side just presented a bunch of untrue information Powerful lawyer, eloquent lawyer, and the judge issued a ruling, boom, and it was done. And I just thought, oh my goodness, it's too complex of an issue to solve in four minutes. I know what's going on in this situation, and you need to, we, we need people to hear, but it, it, power doesn't work that way. I mean, it, it, but it, it's a real situation. Power in the halls of power very often is destructive and destroys lives underneath it. There was no time for the truth, and it just brought brokenness and pain, multiplied it. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what we see power doing in our world, breaking everything down. So what do we do? Well, last week we we lit a candle of hope, and this week we light a candle of peace because the horns of power are scattering people. They're wreaking destruction everywhere that they go. And into that, and this is what I want you to do, if there's one phrase you don't forget today, it's this. Into that, we are called to be artisans 
of peace. Artisans, craftsmen of peace. I love this idea of the solution to the destructive use of power being craftsmen. Because you know what we think? We think the way to beat power is more power. If we could just get stronger than that person, if we could just get further up the chain, we can solve that problem. But what God says here is that the way to bring these horns of power down, he uses craftsmen. What if the solution to the destructive use of power is for us to become craftsmen, craftswomen, artisans of peace? People who who construct something so beautiful by the way we live our lives through the Spirit in light of the gospel that people turn from evil and run to it because it's so beautiful that they're drawn to it. I was sitting in my office thinking, what what do I know about craftsmen? Not much, because I'm not one. But I know one, and he's probably the most humble guy I know, but he consented to let me use some of his work. I called Sig Cornelson. I said, hey, Sig, you're a craftsman. Tell me about a project that you really love. And he showed me this picture of a mantle that he made. It's a beautiful mantle. There's another picture with one. And then if the thing that's beautiful about it is the wood grain. If you look from the side, show me that first side. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Now, the problem is that block of wood was only six inches deep, And they wanted a mantle that was eight inches deep. So you know what Sig did as a craftsman? He went and he found a two-inch block of wood to put on the back that the grain matched. And see, if you look down at the very bottom, show them that next slide, Rob, you can see just a little bit. But that initial picture from the side, does it go back to that again? Isn't that beautiful? Now, Sig, I get 10% of everything you get out of this. (laughs) Just kidding. He's a craftsman, right? And you know what what I love about craftsmen? The thing that is, is if you're a craftsman, it takes time. You don't just, Sig didn't go to Ronan and say, I'll take that one and that one, just give me any wood, I'll make it work. He looked at piece of wood after piece of wood after piece of wood, right? He was very intentional about what he chose and how he put it together. He cared about the end result, right? He he could envision this beautiful thing at the end that nobody would really notice it's actually two pieces of wood. And I mean, I know Sig enough to know he does it for a job, but he loves the beauty of the project. That's why, right? It's more than a job. It's, 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 It's something he's presenting to the world. And it's something that reflects the glory of God, which we talked about in Sunday school. It's, it's beautiful. And, and so I, I, I love that idea of craftsman or artisan when we apply it to the fact that we're called to be artisans of peace. And you say, okay, Jeff, great idea, but where is that in the Bible? I think it's all over the Bible. So I'm glad you asked. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The very declaration of the praise of the God that we love and know is one way we, we create a beautiful, artistic, craftsman piece of, of the, for the world to see. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I think we've, we've boiled reconciliation down to getting people to pray a prayer instead of helping them see the beauty of who God is. 
We've got to be artisans of peace. We've got to create these, these understandings in people's minds. And I'm saying we've got to create it led by the Spirit. I'm not saying it's all us. But where the beauty of God and what he's doing is so compelling that they turn away from everything that they've, that's evil. Artisans of peace. What if you got up every day going to do whatever it is that you do every day and you resolved that you were going to be an artisan of peace in a world that's been self-destructing by power? What if your work and the coffee shop, what if you realize when you go in there, your job is to create something in your conversation, in the way you do things, in, your, in, in what you produce at your work, in the, in the way you care for people, to create something so beautiful that people are drawn to it, and by being drawn to that, they're drawn to God. What if you took the time and the intention? What if you cared so much about the end result that you just stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it until you could offer up this beautiful gift of who God is to the world around you? It's a powerful idea. What destroys the horns of power that scatter the whole world? Artisans of peace who create things that showcase the beauty of a God who loves humanity. That's the world we live in is, is a destructive one. And we're called to be artisans of peace. The second dream talks about the presence of evil. And we know that empirically, don't we? We've all experienced evil. We get mad at people when they're evil. And I came out of that court experience I told you about, and I was so mad at that lawyer because I thought, you don't even care about the truth of what's happening here. All you want to do is win for your client. I was so angry. But the scripture reminds us, and I had to remember this and kind of come off my high horse, <laughs> that evil is deeper than people. It says in, in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. See, the... That passage is good news and hard news. The good news is evil isn't that person. It's deeper than the person. Which means I can love that person regardless. Right? The hard news is is that this evil is so deep. It's the powers of this dark world. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's where I have to say the second dream calls us to draw on the power of faithfulness. Remember the wings of the stork? The wings of faithfulness, the love and mercy that ride on the rock, the spirit. Right? That, that's the image that actually takes the evil away. Faithfulness. Our faithfulness to God, our lives of mercy and kindness and love impact the evil of the world. These small little acts as artisans of peace actually displace evil in our world. One of my favorite verses in the whole book of Revelation is Revelation 12, 11. It's talking about the people that have overcome Satan, the dragon. It says, they overcame him, the accuser of the dragon, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You know, in, in our minds, in our Hollywood minds, we see overcoming evil as blowing up the enemy. We see the action movie where the guy takes the bad guy and boom, everything explodes and we've defeated evil. And yet what you see in this passage is the the evil one was defeated not by blowing him up, 
but by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus dying on the cross, by the word of our testimony, by us speaking the truth of who God is and what he's been to us, and by us not loving our lives so much as to shrink from death. These little faithful acts all the time of speaking what God has done for us and, and not loving our lives so much as to shrink, being willing to, to do it no matter what, that faithfulness, that's what defeats evil. Small acts of faithfulness living as artisans of peace in our daily lives. These are the things that light the tiny flame of peace. That's where it starts. You know, we all want to change the world. We all want to do the big thing. We want, to, we want it all to be over. And God says, why don't you just go out today, very faithfully create a picture of the love and peace of God in the relationships around you and let people see what that looks like. Forgive them, love them, serve them, sacrifice for them. Be an artisan of peace faithfully. You know, the first part of John, which is what we'll get to in Christmas and beyond. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus has come into the world to bring light into a dark place. And he will come again to make the whole place completely new. And in between, we are called to faithfully live as artisans of peace, little by little by little. You know, when Sig made that mantle, there was a whole process. It wasn't like he just thought, hey, I'll, you know, he's leaving work. He thinks, I'll, pay, I'll stop by Rona. I'll pick up, I'll slap something together and bring it back tomorrow. It took time, lots of time and care and effort. And, and that's it. Day by day by day, you're crafting this, this gift of the peace of God to the world, a picture of what it looks like, faithfully living it out. Because the reason we do that is it reflects who he, was to, who he is to the world. In Micah, or excuse me, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. This is your very famous Christmas passage. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The reason we're called to be artisans of peace is because we look like our Father when we do that. We create these things in the world that He's creating in the world. And people are drawn to Him through the actions that we faithfully live out day by day. Your mission this week, should you choose to accept it, is to greet each day with the call in dependence on the Spirit of God to craft peace in such beautiful and compelling ways that the world runs from the evil it sees all around it and straight into the arms of the light of the world, the Prince of Peace. That's your mission. That is our advent. That's why we light candles of hope, because the world needs hope. We light a candle of peace because the world's craving peace. And we have a relationship with the God who is the Prince of Peace. And he says, why don't you go out and just in little faithful ways become an artisan of peace this week so that the world gets insight into who I am. Let's pray. God, these are the weirdest dreams ever. And I just pray you could help us to look beyond the strange images, which I'm sure made a lot more sense to people who were reading it in their day. But to realize that, that to overcome evil power, we don't need more power. We need to serve and love and offer ourselves just as you did. We need to be faithful in difficult moments to represent you clearly to the world around us. 
And God, help us to live as artisans of peace. I pray that the things we create, that they'd come to life by your spirit, whatever, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a, an actual product that we do in our job or a, a process that we go through, just that you would breathe the life of your spirit into these faithful acts as we try to cultivate peace in our community and that people would be so, so captivated by what they see of you that they would run from the evil all around them and come to you in, in, in a relationship. Help us to fulfill this mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we close. Well, I heard some banjo there. Yeah, that's good. You can always need more banjo. My prayer for you this week is that you may think, well, how do I, what does artisan of peace look like in my life? I, I don't know. I don't know if you make mantles for a living. I don't know if you smile at your neighbor. I don't know if it's coffee at McDonald's. I don't know if you work it, if you're a student, whatever it may be. I want you to hear that as you go into that, though, God is, is, is going to work through you to create this thing. This intangible power of the Spirit is going to work to change lives if you're willing to be an artisan of peace everywhere you go. And, and hear it, the words of Zechariah again, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God will do it through you. You don't have to have the strength or the power to make it happen. You just have to go out there and be open to being faithful. Let the wings of the spirit in faithfulness let you create something that God can use. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.